Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Daniel chapter 8. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, that I was in Shusan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and there, standing beside the river, was a ram which had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver from his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west, across the surface of the whole earth, without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. Because of transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. Then it happened, when I, Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meaning, that suddenly there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Ulai, who called and said, Gabriel, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when he came, I was afraid and fell on my face. But he said to me, Understand, son of man, that the vision refers to the time of the end. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. But he touched me and stood me upright. And he said, Look, I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of the indignation. For at the appointed time the end shall be. The ram which you saw, having the two horns, they are the kings of Media and Persia. And the male goat is the kingdom of Greece, 
The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king. As for the broken horn and the four that stood up in its place, four kingdoms shall rise out of that nation, but not with its power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their fullness, a king shall arise, having fierce features, who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. He shall destroy fearfully, and shall prosper and thrive. He shall destroy the mighty, and also the holy people. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his rule, and he shall exalt himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. He shall even even rise against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without human means. And the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true. Therefore seal up the vision, for it refers to many days in the future. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. Afterward I arose and went about the king's business. I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Okay, we have been looking at the book of Daniel now for a couple months, and I hope it's exciting to you. It's, it's, it's very exciting to me, and today it becomes even more exciting. It's kind of like, uh, you know, um, <clears throat> what I talked about, how um, progressive revelation with prophecy, you know, so we're watching this play out in the book of Daniel. It's continually progressive revelation, and I just get pumped more and more and more every l- new level we go to with detail. That's there. And so we've been looking at this and we've been considering then, as we go through the book of Daniel, the impact of his God, his life, and of his writing. And we've mentioned the fact then that um, the last couple of weeks about how those writings were discovered in the Qumran caves and it validated um, the writings and the, the validity of his writings um, for over all the, the, the liberals were trying to um, proclaim against it. I don't want to get into that anymore today, but just, and then we've considered then in this prophecy, we started in chapter seven, or sorry, yeah, went back to chapter two, okay, with the, the idol, and then in chapter seven, looking at the, the four beasts that came from it, and it took two weeks to do that, and, um, but coming through, we saw, again, from Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream that, of that, there was the head of gold, and we saw that the head of gold was Greece. And so we see that as well with the lion with the, the eagle's wings. And then we saw that the, the silver chest with two arms was Medo-Persia, um, having two, two parts, Media and Persia. We'll talk about that again today. Um, and then the, the bronze of thighs and mid, midriff, that was Greece. We'll talk about them, the leopards and the four wings. And then Rome with the legs of iron, which is that beast, ugly beast that was terrible and everything. And then the, four, the ten toes, which were made of clay and iron, which was represented in Daniel 7 with the ten horns. And if you remember, not in this picture, coming out of those ten horns, there was what? One little horn that supplanted three, and it was a pompous horn. And I said that that horn was not who? Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes, right? Because we're going to see him when we get to Daniel chapter 8. Guess where we're at today? Daniel chapter 8. And so today... Today's prophecy in Daniel chapter 8 only talks about these middle two um, empires, okay? It's going to talk about Medo-Persia and Greece. How many of you like history? That's why, probably why you're here, okay? 
Um, how many of you like reading about prophecy? No, okay. How many of you lo- really like reading about fulfilled prophecy? You're going to love today's message. If you didn't put up your hand anywhere longer, go get a coloring thing and, um, and, 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 and enjoy the time. Okay? We have a lot to do because what's so exciting to me in this passage is that this is a moment when we have fulfilled prophecy. What we're going to read about today has already been fulfilled. And we're going to read about the fulfillment, okay? And so we're going to do a lot of reading. You're probably not because you don't have this, so you're going to have to listen to me do a lot of the reading from First Maccabees, okay? I don't believe the Maccabees um, are part of Scripture. I don't believe they're inspired. I take them as a historical book, okay? And there's a lot of history that's in it. And in, in, in this was specifically recorded about in 1 Maccabees and 2 Maccabees. We're only going to read from 1 Maccabees. It's enough for us to get the, 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 the understanding of what happened here, okay? But this is going to be all about Antiochus IV, okay? Uh, with surrounding data, you'll see this in a moment. But we're going to attack this first by looking at the description of the vision, and then we're going to look at the fulfillment of the vision. I, I got to contain myself as we go through the description and not go to fulfillment because we're going to talk about fulfillment when we get there, okay? So two questions, though, I want you to continually ask yourself as we go through this. And that is, first of all, how would I have responded if I were alive then? Okay? Because we're going to talk about how it was fulfilled. How would I have responded if I was alive then? Secondly, am I ready to respond if I am to live through some or all of the events of the end times. There's a lot of debate on all this. I am a pre-trib rapturist, quote-unquote. I'm using the term that most people understand. However, I am technically a pre-70th week of Daniel rapturist. Okay? You can say, huh? You'll get that when we get to Daniel chapter 9. Probably next week is right when we're talking about it, okay? The 70 weeks of Daniel, okay? And so that what we commonly refer to as the tribulation period is the 70th week of Daniel's vision, which we'll talk about that next week, okay? So I believe there's a potential for me and us, if I'm right, to go through the, the, the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments, okay? Um, that doesn't put me mid-trib. I'm, I promise you I'm still prior to that final seventh week. We'll talk about that next week, okay? So, but my point is, if I'm right, Okay, and the classic pre-tribulationists are wrong because they like to put the rapture of the church in Revelation chapter 4 before the throne room. Okay, when John has said, come up here, they say, well, that's the, the rapture of the church. I don't see that. I see it elsewhere. But if, if I'm right then, then there's a potential for you to be going through the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse, through the, 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 the earthquakes that are going to come and, and all the, some of the other devastations that are going to happen that are not considered the wrath of God. The wrath of God is the bulls of God's wrath that are poured out upon the earth in the second half of Daniel's 70th week. Okay? All that to say, if I'm right, I hope I'm wrong. I hope it comes in Revelation chapter 4. But around the world, right now, people are being persecuted for their faith. Do you get it? We think as Americans we get a buy. Okay? How will I, am I ready to, respond to some of the events in the end times, if I should be given the privilege of living in those days. Does that make sense? Okay. So I want you to ponder that as we go forward. All right. Oh, I've got to turn, turn on the clicker before you push the button. It doesn't work without the power going on. Okay. All right. So let's move on with the description of this. Okay. First of all, 
deal with the context real quick, real briefly, okay? This is in the third year of Belshazzar, okay? And so we haven't really talked about timing. It's time to talk about timing because we're going to see how this plays out um, with prophecy being fulfilled, okay? Belshazzar reigned approximately 55, 555 to 539. There's a debate on the beginning of his reign, whether it's between 556 and 553. I know you don't really care, okay? So I'm going to take it as 555. That's my, my best guess, okay? My approximation, okay? So therefore, if it's in the third year of his reign, then we're talking about 552, okay? That this is, okay? So it doesn't really matter, but you can see there's a five, five or six year window, but it doesn't really matter for what we're going to talk about in the end, Okay? Alexander, who we're going to talk about in a moment very briefly, was born in 356 B.C., became the king in 336 B.C. So how old was he when he became king? 20 years old. When he conquers the earth, he's only 20 years old. Think about that. He's in his young 20s. He began his campaign in 334 when he was 22, and he died in 323. He wasn't very old when he died. But after that, we're going to see that the kingdom was broken up into fours, right? And then from the, one of the four, there's a guy named Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who calls himself um, Epiphanes, actually Antiochus IV, who calls himself Epiphanes, was born in 215 B.C. He reigned from 175 to 164 B.C. He died in 164 B.C., probably November, December time frame, okay? Because remember, their months were a little bit different than ours. That's a big deal. It's going to come in at the very end of the message, okay? It's a big deal, Okay? So, this prophecy was given approximately 380 years prior to the occurrence of the events. Do you get it? Okay? So, when you read this and you understand it, you have a decision to make. Do you believe that the Bible was written at this time, that it declares, or do you think that that's just a lie? Do you think that, like the liberals, they said, there's no way, no way that the things that Daniel was writing could have been written. There's no way he could have known it. Because, think about it, he's writing in 552-ish, okay? Alexander was born in 356. It was his father, Philip, that made Greece into a nation. Now, this is Javan. In the the Hebrew, it's Javan. So you can go back and you'll see that Javan was a a, a territory. It was a tribal kind of thing back in Genesis chapter 11, okay? So in in Ionia, Javan, Ionia, okay? So it was known, the the area was known, but there was no empire there. They were just a a conglomeration of little city-states and villages, okay? And so when this prophecy is being given, Greece, as what we understand as Greece was not a confederation of city-states comprising a nation. Are you tracking with me? Okay. So, 380 years prior to what we're going to talk about, this was given. The location. The location is provided is actually part of the vision. I don't know if you noted that when, as Chuck was reading it, people wondered, where was he? Well, he was by the river Ulai in the, in the province of Elam. No, he really wasn't. In his vision... He was by the river Ulai in the province of Elam. I don't know where he was when he had the vision. Maybe he was in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem and he was praying. Does it make sense? And God gave him the vision. It doesn't really matter. People want to debate all the little details of things. And you know what? It really doesn't matter. I don't care where he was. And, And I don't know. There's a reason why we're told in his vision that's where he was. And honestly, I can't tell you right now that I've got a warm fuzzy to tell you 
Oh, and this is what it was meant by the fact that he was at, in at the, the Sushan, the citadel, and in the province of Elam, and, and by the river U- Uli. Okay, and why it was that that, that it was Gabriel um, that was the one who was sent to giving the message, I don't know. It was Gabriel as well who came and gave the message to Mary and such like that. Again, that's not the purpose of this writing. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to get into all that. If you're, if it, I hope I don't disappoint you. I'm not going to get into the, those, those little details because it doesn't bother me. The, the, the big thing is God is revealing what, he's, what he is going to do in nations in, in, in such a time for us, for us, that we actually have ample writing, historical writings to validate exactly what happened. So much so that the liberals hate it. And they realize the validation this makes of the word of God. That they've got to do whatever they can to try to disprove it. Do you get it? Cool stuff. Okay. So the content. First of all, we have timing again. Okay. But this timing is different. We're given two different concepts, concepts of time that's in here. First of all, we have the length of time. We're told that the length of this vision, the length of what's going to happen, is 2,300 evening and mornings. Okay? So that's translated in most of you as days. Because for a Hebrew, for understanding, go back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God created light, right? There was evening and there was morning, the what? First day. So it's just translated as day. 2,300 days. 2,300 evening and mornings. Okay? Now, how many of you love math? Oh, we've got a couple. Okay, here we go. So the rest of you, just go to sleep for a moment. Just, you can wake back up in about 30 seconds. Okay, so a lunar month is 29.5 days, okay, um, in a month, okay? So if you take the 2300, divide it out by a lunar month, you're going to get 77.966 lunar months. 77.966. Remember, because... When, we, when you talk about math, it's, it's important when you get down into the, the, the numbers, the details, right? Which then equates to 6.5 years. But if you want to be technical, it's 6.497 years, okay? Which is really kind of neat how this plays out, okay? Now, is it exactly what we refer to as six and a half years? Maybe not, okay? Because, again, they were lunar months, okay? So this could be just slightly under what we refer to as six and a half years. It could be slightly over what we refer to as six and a half years. It all depends on when they would add the, the, the leap years during this time. Makes sense, okay? So, because they would add a month um, on certain years, the Jews would. Um, instead of adding a day every four years, they would actually have add a month every six or seven years, okay? So, because um, there's, there's almost 13 lunar, there is 13, almost 13, lunar months in a year, okay? So you got to play that one up. Anyways, so, so again, why did I share this with you? Keep it in your memory banks. It's going to come back at the very end of the message, along with what I said about um, Antiochus when he died, okay? Details are important. God placed details in his word for a reason. Do you get it? Okay? Because only God can do certain things, Okay? And so this is exciting stuff. So if you read this stuff and you think, ah, don't go there. Important stuff. A lot of fun. Okay. Second of all, we have the period of time, the era, the epoch in which it's going to happen. It's referred to as the latter time of indignation or the appointed time of the end. Okay. So it's not talking about what we refer to as the end times. It's literally referring to a latter time of the indignation. Okay. When God was indignant with his people. Okay, and God is going to be pouring out, if you would, punishment on his people, okay, because of 
who they are, okay? And, and there are consequences to our choices, okay? If you look at the United States right now, and I put, shared this in my, my quiet time yesterday, I was kind of meditating on this um, from the book of Leviticus, how pornography and abortion go hand in hand. You know, and it, it's just an amazing thing to me. And so, and it goes hand in hand with the worship of idols. Specifically in Leviticus, it refers to the idol Moloch, okay? And, um, and so when I look at the United States, no, we don't have, an, we don't have a, a temple to Moloch, but you know what? We are so there with, with abortion and, and, and pornography, okay? With, with the, the sex cults, okay? And so that's where we are at. And so we need to wake up, smell the, smell the coffee, right? And understand we are not this blessed nation that everyone wants to claim that we are. We're not a Christian nation. Go to the United Nations, they have us listed as a pagan nation. Because that's who you are. That's where we live. We're not Christian anymore. Okay? That's why things are going the way they are. And it, it's still, believers just kind of, we can't understand. Why is this happening in my land? Because it has eroded. It's not what it was 200 years ago. Okay? So we need to be thinking through this process. Okay? Now, that was all about the timing. Now the principal characters. So what do we read? We read, first of all, in this vision, right, that Daniel sees, first of all, he lifted up his eyes, and standing beside the river was a what? A ram, which had two horns, okay? And so one of the horns was what? Higher than the other, okay? And we're told, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up what? Last. Well, we've talked about this. just gives us more details about this, that we're going to have this nation that's going to have two parts, Okay? And the part that comes up afterwards is going to be greater than the, the first, right? And so we know that to be Medo-Persia. How do we know that it's Medo-Persia? How do we know? Because Gabriel said so. That's exactly right. Because we're told right here in the midst of this that this is, the ram is actually Medo-Persia. Okay? Persia comes up after Media. Media was powerful, but they weren't powerful enough in themselves to take over Babylon. And so they formed a confederation between Media and Persia, and so the Medo-Persia Empire, right? And so Persia then winds up becoming stronger than Medo and, 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 and winds up pushing them out, okay? So you have the Medo-Persia Empire. But in the midst of this, look what it says, okay? And as I was considering, verse 5, oh, well, okay, let me finish that out. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any that could deliver out of his hand. Okay, so, so the, the empire, think again, started here, okay, over in this area. There we go, media, okay? But it pushed, and they expanded, okay? Kingdoms began to become greater and greater. But we're told in verse 5, as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west. There's your male goat, okay? He comes from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and a goat had a notable horn between his eyes. Then he came to the ram and had two horns, which I saw standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram. He was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver him out of his hand. You ready? Watch the screen. Watch the screen. You don't want to miss it. Here he comes. And it's all gone. Okay. All right. You can go, you, you can go back to sleep now. Okay. I didn't want you to miss that. Um, that that's my, that's my, 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 my one moment of, of glory. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> but that's exactly. I wish I could have made it even more exciting, you know. And, uh, but boom. You know, he comes across. And that's exactly what Alexander did. He came with such fury. And if you remember, we talked about this. He was furious at who? Persia. 
Persia. Why is he furious at Persia? They've been attacking all the city-states of Ionia, of what we know as Greece, but yeah, and they're just causing great havoc. And so he's learned to hate them. He's learned to hate them. And he wants nothing more in life than destroy them. And you know, it's really fun, interesting to me, and I can't put anything else onto this, other than after he destroys Persia, he dies. His purpose in life is done. Now, there's more to the story on that, but we don't need to worry about that right now, okay? So, so he dies, okay? And so we're told that right here, right? And so he was moved with rage, attacked the ram, broke his horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male groat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken. The large horn is? Alexander, okay? Alexander is broken. And in place of it, four notable ones came up toward the four winds of heaven. So we talked about this last week, okay? So after um, Alexander's gone, four of his kings took over, and they each had a little bit of a kingdom, okay? So Lysicamus and Cassandra are in red because they go away, okay? Um, the Seleucid Empire and the Ptolemaic Empire are the ones that stand. And we're going to read about those when we get to Daniel 9 to Daniel 11. That's the king of the north and the king of the south. Okay? So I'm not going to go into a whole lot of them other than we're going to go into a lot of detail. A lot of detail. If you think today's a history lesson, wait till you get to that one. It's really exciting stuff. Okay? And so, but within then, we're told that these four notable ones, okay, verse 9, and out of one of them, that's the Seleucid Empire, okay, out of one of them came a little horn which grew great, exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land, okay? So if you look at the Seleucid Empire, they were actually up closer up here in Cilicia, okay? but they had all of this over here. But so when, a lot of times when the Seleucids are talked about, they're re- referred to as a Syrian Empire. They're really Greece, Grecian, okay? And the, the Ptolemaics are referred to a lot of times as Egypt, okay? But they're not. Like Cleopatra, I've shared this a couple of weeks ago with you, but if you, you hear about Cleopatra, you instantly think that she's Egyptian. She's not Egyptian. She's actually Greek, okay? She's a Ptolemy, okay? She's from the Ptolemaic Empire. And so, and so Anthony, Mark Anthony comes, and he's from Rome, okay? There's no, no Egyptians there at all. There's just, it's the, the Romans and the, and, the, and the Greeks all messing around in Egypt, okay? And so, so Ptolemy goes to the south, and he has that southern kingdom. You have um, Seleucid going, Seleucus going up to the north, and it has a Syrian kingdom, okay? In which they come in the north, the king of the north, and the king of the south, and they have battles with one another, okay? Now, come forward in history, okay? We get to Antiochus IV, which means there was what at some time? Antiochus I, Antiochus II, Antiochus III. Antiochus III, by the way, is called Antiochus the Great, okay? He was the one who really did a lot of massive things, and we'll, again, maybe talk about that when we get to chapter 11. Um, But it's the fourth who becomes very notable, okay? Because he becomes so full of himself. I mean, at this point, it just becomes this, this whole thing, okay? And so, again, we'll talk about this in more detail, but he had gone to the south, and he was rebuffed down there. He comes back into Jerusalem, okay? And I can't get into fulfillment. We're going to talk about it in a moment. But anyways, all this stuff starts playing out, okay? So um, after him rises this little horn, who we know then to be Antiochus. We see then, listed here, his rise to power, okay? That he becomes a very powerful um, individual. Um, his pompousness... His, how's his pompousness listed? He does what? What's it say specifically that, that, that he, he tries to do? Say again? Good, Phyllis. Okay, it goes toward the glorious land. Okay, that's 
Israel. He's, he's going to go against it. But, but drop down, okay, verse 11. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of hosts. Okay? Now, later in the chapter, when we come down... Um, uh, my pages are sticking together on me. All right. The d- bottom of the chapter, we see that um, he's going to come down, verse 25. He will rise himself against the prince of princes. Okay? And so that's Yahweh. That's God himself. So this is Isaiah 14. As Isaiah 14 was a prophecy written about Nebuchadnezzar and how Nebuchadnezzar lifted himself up and said that he would be like God. Right? This is the same thing. Okay? This is a, a common problem with world leaders. Again, Hitler thought he was Odin. Okay? Now, he didn't say he was Jesus, but Odin is a Norse god. He thought he was the reincarnation of Odin. Okay? I don't know who Putin thinks he is. Okay? But, but as we see this today, and this is another thing I want to bring out. You know, as you, as you read through some of the stuff, that, or as I read through some of the stuff, and you listen to some of the stuff, I mean, I can't help but think of the Ukrainian people at this moment as well. Okay? But the reality is this happens multiple times throughout history. Multiple times throughout history. Okay? We're just reading about one specific one that was prophesied about. Because it deals with the Jewish people, okay? Prophecy always has to deal with the Jewish people. In Jerusalem, specifically. Unless we're told, specifically, that it doesn't, okay? There are some times when God does other, like Antiochus, Antiochus, okay? We're going to read about him, but still, he's dealing with who? The Jewish people in, in, in Jerusalem, okay? So he's got this pompousness where he's rising himself up against God, against God's people, and, oh, and then his provocation is all part of that pompousness as well, because we continue to read there in Daniel 8, that after it says that he, um, verse 11, says that he lifted himself as high as the prince of hosts, and by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So he comes in, okay, again, fulfillment. So you'll see it, okay? But we're told that he's going to come in, he's going to take away the what? The daily sacrifices, okay? And then we're told about his demise then, okay? That in the, in, in, while he is way up, he's going he's gonna to have a falling. Um, he's going he's gonna to break. He's, he's going to be break into this, um, but it's going to be without hands, okay? The other thing I want to point out about this pompousness and provocation there that goes on um, that I, I, I continue, forgot to continue down to verse 12. It says, because of transgression... An army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast what to the ground? Truth. He cast truth to the ground. He did all this and prospered. Okay? And so he's attacking the truth. What is the embodiment of truth? Well, he is the... Okay, yeah, from that perspective, yes, you're right. Jesus is the embodiment. But I'm, I'm thinking about this. The Word of God. Okay? So um, Jesus said, sanctify them. Through your truth, your word is truth. This is the foundation and source of all truth. Are, are we agreed on that one? I hope so, right? If you, if you, I'm not sure why you're here if you didn't. Okay, but you need to learn that one. Okay, this is the source of all truth. Okay? Now, I, I'm thinking like a 22nd century. Yes, I got that one right. It's not 21st century anymore. I was born in the 21st century, but now I'm in the 22nd century. I'm thinking like a 22nd century believer right now, right? I think of the source of truth as what? The Bible. The Old Testament and the New Testament. It really is the 21st century. Because 0 to 100. No, it's the 22nd century. Is this tw- 
Oh, you're right. I was born in the 20th century, the 21st century. Oh, well. Okay, you guys got it. See, I don't even know. It's right math. It's uh, kind of fun. All right. So, but, the, but I have the Old Testament and the New Testament, what I consider to be the Bible. If I lived in Jesus' day, or if I lived in the days of this fulfillment, what would I have? I have the Torah. I have the law. I have the Old Testament. Okay? The Old Covenant. So, so understand, for them, the source of truth was Torah. Okay? Which were the instructions, the teachings, the, 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 the laws, the rules, the regulations of, 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 of Yahweh. Moses, Moses gave it, but yes, but ultimately it's, it's Yahweh, okay? And so, so I got to, again, it's too easy for me to look back and look at failures of people and say, oh, I can't believe that. And it's easy, you know, when we get to look at Jesus and Jesus condemns the Pharisees and stuff like that, but we potentially, some of us might have been right there with him because the Pharisees honored the word of God. They just missed it when it was being fulfilled. Think about it. Prophecy was being fulfilled in the days of those, those Pharisees and stuff like that, and they were missing it, okay? So as we come back into the days of the Maccabees, which we're going to talk about in a moment, okay? We need to understand, okay? They're living this stuff out. They don't have 20-20 vision. Remember, prophecy is best understood after what? It, after it happens. They're living it. They're living it. They're living it out. That's why I want you to think about it. How would I have responded if I was living in that day, okay? So the little horn. So now, and then we have the closing, okay? Uh, and I don't want to, we talked about this a little bit last week um, when it came to the end of Daniel chapter 7, but same concept here. It's certainty. Um, we're told that it needs to be sealed up, to be closed, because the writing is true, but it's certain, is the idea there. The certainty of the writing is what it means, that this is going to happen. So close it up. It's not to be added to. It's not to be detracted from. This is a sealed vision. Okay, well, the next part, though, again, is it's perplexity because what happens to Daniel? One step further from Daniel chapter seven, what we're told now. He was faint, he fainted and he became sick. When's the last time you fainted and got sick over not understanding the word of God? Did it bother me? Does it bother you that well? That you sit there and you're struggling all day trying to understand it? I promise you there have been numerous times in preparing messages, knowing I'm going to have to stand up here and answer questions, that I am struggling. I am, and my wife can tell you that I can struggle. I, can, I, I mean, my sleep. I mean, I can wake up in the middle of the night. And, you know, so even this morning, I, I changed my, my outline, or not my outline, but my, my presentation. Chuck came in, and I was, I was just finishing doing some touches on things that just kind of happened. You know, it's, just, it's amazing because, you know, be not many masters, such as a greater what? condemnation judgment okay don't be many teachers is what it says james 3 1 okay and so i get i'm going to give an account for everything i teach you so it's a fearful thing well daniel he's he's wanting to know understanding he, he wants to get being is the word we if you go back to the the um book of proverbs when we talked about understanding it's the word being and so this is the he's, there is none he has no understanding and this was really amazing because who was daniel How do we know Daniel? What's the first thing we see about Daniel? First real big thing. He's what? The interpreter of what? Dreams. Not only does he interpret the dream, he's able to give the dream. And now he's got his own dream and he can't what? He can't interpret it. And if he can't interpret it, who can? Well, God, yes. But, but my point is, in the human realm, it's nobody. You get it? And so here he is. God gave him a dream and he hasn't got a clue. 
I mean, think about it. Because he's told we're going to have, this is going to be Medo-Persia. He probably figured that one out, right? But then he's told that the, the goat is who? Javan. Who? What? I mean, I mean, think of the details he's just given. And it's not a blip on the map. He has nothing to compare this thing to. He has nothing to relate it to. Make sense? And now he's struggling because he's not getting it. Oh, that we would struggle with the Word of God. Wanting to know truth. God desires... Um, Brian, you quoted it during the communion. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's God's desire. He wants us to know truth. How much do you want to know truth? How much are you willing to, to, to knuckle down and to read the Word of God and to spend time studying it? It's not something, oh, that's the pastor's job. No, it's not. It's every believer's job. You are a preacher. I'm not a preacher other than being in the body of Christ. I'm a teacher. That's my, my profession, if you could, quote, unquote, my calling that God has called me to teach his word, to equip the saints into the work of the ministry. But every single one of us have the calling of being a preacher, and we're told to be ready to give an account, an answer to everyone, a defense to everyone who asks us, a reason for the hope that's within us. You better be ready. That's why our kids club, right? Always be ready. And we don't want just the kids to be always be ready. It ought to be for us as adults. So, yeah, Daniel... It took him a while. Man, it just wiped him out. Exhausted him. And I get that. Because prophecy can be both exhilarating and exhausting. It's going to take the breath right out of you. And as we start sliding toward the fulfillment, all I can tell you is that to sum up my thoughts coming as we come into this is the Hebrew word, nacham. Gerard, you know that word? Nacham. Uh, sometimes it's translated that. It just means to sigh. It's the word where God said, and Yahweh repented, like in Jonah, and Yahweh repented. It doesn't, it doesn't say he repented. He sighed. In, in Psalm 23, Yah, Yahweh sighs. It's just a sigh. The sigh can be a, a comforting sigh. It can be an anguishing sigh. You ever do that when you're working on a project? And everybody knows around you, you sighed, you, just like you sighed earlier or whatever, you know. But your sigh is different, all based upon your inflection, the chem. And as I went through all this, and as I studied this, and as I read through all this, all I could do is... It's exhilarating. It's pumped. This is fulfilled prophecy. How could you not be excited? But I'm reading about the destruction. Horrendous destruction. Of people. And of people who are going to hell. Who are already there. Some people who stood. Firm for the truth. They died anyway. I saw somebody. Post on Facebook. There's always a lot of people posting on Facebook. Anyways. Um, about Zelensky. He's a leader. He is a man. Who is a leader as leaders ought to be. I'm trying to think how it stated it. There's a time to die. What are you willing to die for? 
What are you willing to die for? Oh, that pie is to die for. No, not really. Not really. But there comes a moment when you have to ask yourself, what am I willing to die for? Rodney, can I pick on you? Amen. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going. I'm not going. I'm not going to blaspheme your your cowboys right now. When you went, and so we haven't talked about this. This is just curiosity. Before you went to Nam, well, you didn't go to Nam. Did you go to Nam? You did go to Nam. Yeah. You went in during that time frame. Yeah. So when you when you joined up, how old were you? Twenty when you joined. Did you think about the fact that you could die instantly? Or did you? Did it, did, did it ponder your thought when you signed up saying, I might die for this? Why did you do it? Well, you knew you were going, you're going to heaven. But, but why, would you, why, why would you die for that? I mean, it's just the Vietnamese people. It's hard to thought, but... Because you're you fighting your, for your country. And so that's what you're dying for. Do you get it? There's, there's, a, there's a time when you have to make the decision of what are you willing to die for. What we're, my, my challenge for you today is, are you willing to die for the truth? That's what the pompous horn was going against, God and his word. Are you willing to die for the testimony of God in his word? All right, fulfillment. Here we go. The activity of the fulfillment. The first thing we're going to look at is the rise of Antiochus, or Antiochus. It hit me this week, too. I've, I've been talking about Antiochus for years. But he's really from where? Antioch. So he's really Antiochus. <laughs> anyway, so if I float between Antiochus and Antiochus, it's because there's a battle in my brain between which way is right the right way of saying it. And I looked it up. And you know what they told me? It can either be pronounced as Antiochus or Antiochus. <laughs> oh, wow, that helped a whole lot. Anyways, so no, no authority there. Okay, so, so we have this rise of Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes. So here's where I'm just going to start reading. Okay, so um, probably you don't have it. If you have um, E-Sword or something like that, you probably can look it up right away and, and you can read along with me. It's up to you. Um, but again, I'm not trying to elevate this up other than I'm reading this as history so that you can see how what we just read about in Daniel chapter 8 was fulfilled in detail. Okay? Antiochus, or 1 Maccabees, beginning um, chapter 9 and verse 1. Um, after his death, they all put crowns... Or is that where I want to be? Yeah, the rise of Antiochus. Yeah, okay. After his death, they all put crowns upon themselves. So did their sons after them many years. And so this is after... Um, Alexander's death, okay? So after his death, that was Alexander the Great, okay? After his death, they all put crowns upon themselves, that's the four kings, so did their sons after them for many years, and evils were multiplied in the earth. And there came out of them a wicked root, Antiochus, surnamed Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king, who had been a hostage at Rome, and he reigned in the, again, we're going to come back to these in a moment, okay? He reigned in the 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks. 
I love how God has details recorded. Again, Maccabees, I get it, but God still had them record details for us. Okay? Now, when the kingdom was established before Antiochus, he thought to reign over Egypt that he might have the dominion of two realms. In other words, so he wants to go down and he wants to fight against the Ptolemies. We'll talk about this in detail when we get to chapter 11. Okay? So he wants to have both realms. Wherefore, he entered into Egypt with a great multitude, with chariots and elephants and horsemen, and a great navy, and made war against Ptolemy, king of Egypt. But Ptolemy was afraid of him and fled, and many were wounded to death. Thus they got the strong cities in the land of Egypt, and he took the spoils thereof. And after that, Antiochus had smitten and after Antiochus had smitten Egypt, he returned again. And in the 143rd year of the kingdom of, of Greece, and went up against Israel in Jerusalem with a great multitude, and entered it proudly into the sanctuary, and took away the golden altar and the candlestick of light and all the vessels thereof, and the table of the showbread and the pouring vessels and the vials and the censers of gold and the veil and the crown and the golden ornaments that were before the temple, all which he pulled off. He took also the silver and the gold and the precious vessels. Also he took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken all away, he went into his own land, having made a great massacre and had spoken very proudly. So what do we see? We see the, the, whores, the, the little horn rising up to power. He goes into the glorious land, and he does the uh, and he brings the desecration, the provocation, right? Where he tears, he destroys, takes away the daily sacrifices, and, and does that. But there's more. Dropping down to verse 41 of First Maccabees one, because we get into this provocation. Moreover, King Antiochus wrote to his whole kingdom that all should be one people, and everyone should leave his laws. What's that? Everyone should leave his laws. For the Jews, what is that? Truth. 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 Leave truth. Everyone should leave his laws so that all the heathen agreed according to the commandment of the king. Yea, many also of the Israelites consented to his religion and sacrificed unto idols and profaned the Sabbath, the Shabbat. For the king had sent letters by messengers unto Jerusalem in the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land and forbid forbid burnt offerings and sacrifice and drink offerings in the temple and that they should profane the Sabbath and festivals and pollute the sanctuary and holy people, set up altars and groves and chapels of idols and sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts, that they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all manner of uncleanness and profanation, profaneness. To the end that they might forget the law, forget what? Truth. And change all the ordinances. Do you know that right now the um, United Methodist Church is getting ready to, to, to split? Praise God. Um, anyways, this, this, this summer... There's already churches that have been leaving the, the United Methodist Church, and I'm not picking on them, but why are they leaving? Primarily homosexuality. They gave up, I mean, and this is nothing personal, ladies, but you, you're here, you get this, okay? A woman is not supposed to be a pastor. But they gave into that a long time ago. Once you give in to, to the desecration of the Word of God and that the Word is not the source, you just continue moving on. Now it's too much for them. Now, because they're going to ordain homosexuality and allow same-sex marriages and stuff like that, there's a lot of people who say, oh, that's just too repulsive for me. Really? Well, what about 
the, the truth as a whole. You were okay with getting rid of the, the, the foundation of truth when it was palatable to you, but now that's not palatable to you. Do you get what I'm saying? This is a critical. When I set myself up as the judge, when I set myself up as God, and I determine what is right and what is wrong, there is no source of, of truth. And so... What Antiochus understood was, I have to get rid of the word. I have to get them stop reading this thing. I've got to get them stop living this thing. Because if I can stop, get them stop reading it, they won't know it. They don't know it, they won't live it. They don't live it, life's good. Because they're not causing problems with my paganism. Again, we talked about this in Sunday school. Why is it that the world hates you? technically, or should. Because you live a different life. You're a light. You're like a city that is set upon a hill and light cannot be hidden. And they're walking in darkness. Light and darkness don't mix. So, pick it up again. So, whoever, whosoever would not do according to the commandment of the king, he said, should die. In the selfsame manner, he wrote to his whole kingdom and appointed overseers over all the people, commanding the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city. Then many of the people were gathered unto them to wit every one that forsook the law, and so they committed evils in the land. Now, he's not talking about the sacrifice according to the law now. Now he's saying, I, I get rid of all those burnt sacrifices, burnt offerings and sacrifices, and now I want you to sacrifice to the pagan gods. He went into, he went into and this is part of Second uh, Maccabees, he goes into the, the temple of God, and he calls it the temple of Zeus. Okay, And so now he's replacing the sacrifices, not to Yahweh, but now he's commanding that in all the cities of Judah, in all the cities of Israel, they ought to be doing sacrifices to the pagan gods. Okay? And so verse 23, verse 53, and then drove the Israelites into secret places, even wheresoever they could, they could flee for succor. Now in the 15th day of the month Kislev, in the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar and built idol altars throughout the cities of Judah on every side, and burnt incense at the doors of their houses and in the streets. And when they had rent in pieces the books of the law which they had found, they burnt them with fire. Sounds like the king during the days of Jeremiah, right? And whosoever was found with any of the book of the testament, or if any committed to the law, the king's command was that they should be put to death. So, you're found with this in your hand, in your possession, capital punishment. We're not going to kill people who kill people, but we want to kill people who have the word of God. You get it? That's why you need to memorize it. Because they're going to have to cut off your head to get rid of it. And when they cut off your head, it's a better place you go. And then you'll have the fullness of it, won't you? So now we have the next step. Oh, look at that. I, I, I'm just flying through on you guys. Forget about my outline. Forget my outline anyway, huh? Okay, it's provocation. The demise of Antiochus. First, we start with the indignation of Mattathias. Who's Mattathias? Mattathias is the father of Judas Maccabeus. He's actually the one who begins this, this whole Maccabean revolt, okay? From chapter 2 of Maccabees. Then answered the king's officers and said to Mattathias on this wise, Thou art a ruler in an honorable and great man in this city, and strengthened with sons and brethren. Now, therefore, come you first and fulfill the king's command like as all the other heathen have done. Yea, and the men of Judah also, and such as remain in Jerusalem, so shalt thou in your house be in, in the number of the king's friends. And you and your children shall be honored with silver and gold and many rewards. Mattathias, you're a great man. You've got many sons. 
You're honorable. You ought to be the first to come and offer the king's sacrifices. And if you do that, you'll be the king's buddy. And you will be honored with much more silver and gold. Sounds like a great American tradition. Justice once won't matter. I'll make a whole lot of money and I can use it to serve God. Hmm. Then Mattathias, listen to it. Listen to it. Then Mattathias answered and spake with a loud voice. Though all the nations that are under the king's dominion obey him, and fall away everyone from the religion of their fathers, and give consent to his commandments, yet I and my sons and my brethren will walk in the covenant of our fathers. God forbid that we should forsake the law in the ordinances. We will not hearken to the king's word to go from our religion, either to the right hand or to the left. This is the hill that I'm going to die on. Do you get it? And then he lived it. You ready for this? Now when he had left speaking these words, there came one of the Jews in the sight of all to sacrifice on the altar which was at Modin, according to the king's commandment. Which thing, when Mattathias saw it, he was inflamed with zeal and his reins trembled. Neither could he forbear to show his anger according to judgment. Wherefore he ran and slew him upon the altar. Also the king's commissioner, who compelled men to sacrifice, he killed at that time. And the altar he pulled down. Thus dealt he zealously with the, for the law of God, as Phineas did unto Zombri, the son of Shalom. And Mattathias cried throughout the entire city with a loud voice, saying, Whosoever is zealous of the law and maintaineth the covenant, let him follow me. I am undone. What are you willing to die for? At what point are you willing to make a stand? At what point are you willing for the authorities to come and get you? And your family. He understood he was making a decision not just for himself, but for his family. And his sons stood by him because of his testimony. So he and his sons fled into the mountains and left all that they ever had in the city. He was a very wealthy guy. Left everything. Left it all. Then many that sought after justice and judgment went down into the wilderness to dwell there. Both they and their children and their wives and their cattle because afflictions increased sore upon them. Now when it was told the king's servant and the host that was at Jerusalem in the city of David that certain men who had broken the king's commandment were gone into the secret places of the wilderness. This is another group. Okay? So he's up in Modin. Okay? But there's another group now. Hear, hear about what he does. And they're, they're emboldened by his testimony. And so they break the king's command. They're not going to do the sacrifices either. And they flee into the wilderness, okay? This is, this is history. Into the secret places in the wilderness. They pursued them with a great number. And having overtaken them, they camped against them and made war against them on the Sabbath day. What do you know about Sabbath day with Jews? No work. No nothing. Which includes what? probably fighting they made war with them on the sabbath day and they said unto them let that which you have done hitherto suffice come forth and do according to the commandment of the king that you shall and ye all shall live but they said 
we will not come forth, neither will we do the king's commandment to profane the Sabbath day. So they gave them the battle with all speed. However, howbeit they answered them not, neither cast they a stone at them, nor stopped the places where they had hid, but said, Let us die all in our innocency. Heaven and earth will testify for us, and you put us to death wrongfully. So they rose against them in battle on the Sabbath, on the Shabbat, and they slew them with their wives, their children, and their cattle to the number of a thousand people. They're counted as sheep to the slaughter. They died for the testimony of the word of God in his name. Now when Mattathias and his friends understood hereof, they mourned for them right sore. And one of them said to another, If we all do as our brethren have done, fight not for our lives, and the law is against the heathen, they will now quickly root us out of the earth. At that time, therefore, they decreed, saying, Whosoever shall come to make battle with us on the Sabbath day, we will fight against him. Neither will we die all as our brethren that were murdered in the secret places. So as a result of the death of the thousand, Mattathias and his sons make a decision. They will fight on the Shabbat. Because it's not about them. It's the testimony of the Lord. The charge of Mattathias. Um, we have actually now the next part, and that is the exploits of Maccabeus. It says, Now when the time drew near that Mattathias should die, he said unto his sons, Now hath pride and rebuke gotten strength in the time of destruction and the wrath of indignation. Now therefore, my sons, be zealous for the law, the truth, and give your lives for the covenant of your fathers, the new covenant. Okay. Call to remembrance what acts our fathers did in their time. So ye shall ye receive great honor and an everlasting name. Was not Abraham found faithful in, in temptation, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness? Joseph, in the time of his distress, kept the commandment and was made the Lord of Egypt. Phineas, our father, and being zealous and fervent, obtained the covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Jesus, for, not Jesus, but Joshua, so that should be Joshua in here, fulfilling the word, was made a judge in Israel. Caleb, for bearing witness before the congregation, received the heritage of the land. David, for being merciful, possessed the throne of an everlasting kingdom. Elias, for being zealous and fervent for the law, was taken up into heaven. Ananias, that's Hananiah. Azarias and Mishael, by believing, were saved out of the flame. Daniel, for his innocency, was delivered from the mouth of lions. And thus consider ye throughout all generations that none that put their trust in him shall be overcome. Fear not, then, when the words, of a, the, the words of a sinful man, for his glory shall be dung and worms. In the end, that pompous fool is going to go to hell. Remember it. In the end, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You need to remember it. The worst thing they think they can do to you is the best thing they can do to you. Do you get it? Mattathias said, don't worry about this guy. He's just going to be dung and worms. Today he shall be lifted up, and tomorrow he shall not be found, because he is returned into his dust, and his thought is come to nothing. Wherefore, ye, my sons, be valiant, and show yourselves as men in behalf of the law, for by it ye shall obtain glory. Judas, known as Maccabeus, that's who we refer to as the Maccabeans then, came from Judas, the son Mattathias declares to his sons that they should make Judas because he is very good with military mind, the military mind to be the, the leader in that line. I don't have time to get into all this. You can read about it. It's, it's exciting stuff. Uh, Judas, 
begins to have all these battles against Greece, and he begins to, God's giving him victory everywhere, beating generals, and just, and he becomes a name around, and so the, the, the Greek generals are just fleeing before him. And so in this moment where there's a lull, when he's, he's rebuffed them all, and, and, and they're just kind of like backpedaling, he decides he's going to clean the temple, Okay. And so we read this as then we only got a couple more here. It says, Then Judas and his brethren, behold our then Judas said then said Judas and his brethren, Behold, our enemies are discomfited, let us go up to cleanse and rededicate, dedicate the sanctuary. Upon this all the host assembled themselves together and went up to Mount Zion. And when they saw the sanctuary desolate and the altar profaned and the gates burnt up and the shrubs growing in the courts in the forest or in one of the mountains, yea, in the priest's chambers pulled down, they rent their clothes and made great lamentation and cast ashes upon their head and fell down flat on the ground upon their faces and blew an alarm with the trumpets and cried toward heaven. Then Judas appointed certain men to fight against those that were in the fortress. There was a Greek faction that, that placed themselves in there. So, uh, so to fight them until he had cleansed the sanctuary. So he chose priests of blameless conversation, such had pleasure in the law, who cleansed the sanctuary and bear out the defiled stones into an unclean place. And when they had consulted what to do with the bur- altar of burnt offerings, which was profaned, they thought it best to pull it down, lest it should be a reproach to them, because the heathen had defiled it. Wherefore, they pulled it down and laid up the, the stones in the mountain of the temple in a convenient place until there should come a prophet to show what should be done with them. Then they took whole stones according to the law and built a new altar according to the former and made up the sanctuary and the things which were in, within the temple and held the courts. They made also new holy vessels, and into the temple they brought the candlestick, the altar of burnt offerings, and the incense in the table. And upon the altar they burnt incense, and the lamps that were upon the candlestick they lighted, and they, that they might give light into the temple. Furthermore, they set the loaves upon the table, and spread out the veils, and finished all the works which they had begun. What did they do? They reestablished the temple and temple worship. This is exciting stuff. Now on the 5 and 20th day of the ninth month, in which is called the month Kislev, in the 148th year of Grecian rule, they rose up betimes in the morning and offered sacrifice according to the law upon the new altar of the burnt offerings which they had made. Look at what time and what day the heathen had profaned it. Even in that it was dedicated with songs and cithern and harps and cymbals. Then all the people fell upon their faces, worshiping and praising God of heaven, who had given them good success. And so they kept the dedication of the altar eight days, Hanukkah, the word chenuga literally means dedication. Okay, so that's the feast of dedication. Eight days. And offered burnt offerings with gladness and sacrificed the sacrifice of deliverance and praise. So then we get to the, so his exploits, right? Um, but then we have the end. Now, I want to tell you just as an as a epilogue because I'm not going to get there. Um, there are more battles which we're not going to read about here. But eventually, um, Maccabees, is, uh, Judas, and his brothers are killed. Okay, not by Antiochus but by, by, by the Greek army, okay? And so they gave their life. So I, I don't want, it's going to end like this is, woo, this is exciting. But they had great victories. God gave them great victories. But in the end, they also died. And Greece did prevail, okay? But the demise of Antiochus, because this is all goes with the prophecy we just read in Daniel 8, okay? That's why we're reading this stuff, okay? 
About that time, King Antiochus, traveling through the high countries, heard say that Eliamus in the country of Persia was a city greatly renowned for riches, silver, and gold, and that there was in, a, in it a very rich temple, wherein were coverings of gold and breastplates and shields, which Alexander, the son of Philip, the Macedonian king, who first reigned among the Grecians, had left there. Whereof he came and sought to take the city and spoil it, but he was not able because, of the, because they of the city, having been warned ahead of time, rose up against him in battle. So he fled and departed thence with great heaviness and returned to, you know, I love this, ready? Babylon. It's interesting how things cycle back through. He returns to Babylon. Moreover, there he came, there, moreover, there came one who brought him tidings into Persia that the armies which went against the land of Judea were put to flight. Remember all these things are, that Judah's doing, right? Judah's Maccabeus. He had left, and he left Lysias in, in command, and Lysias getting his kicked. Anyways, and, and, and so now the, the information's coming to him over in Persia that he's just being totally wiped out, and Judah's is making a mockery of him, okay? So he gets it. Moreover, there came one who brought him tidings of Persia that the armies which went against the land of Judea were put to flight, and that Lysias, who went forth first with a great power was driven away of the jews and that they were made strong by the armor and power and stores of spoil which they had gotten of the armies whom they had destroyed they had nothing in the beginning had nothing and yet they destroyed the the the, the elite of the, of the grecian armies you know that they just kind of send them these couple hundreds of guys to go wipe them out but they beat them and you know what they did they took all their ar- their armaments god wanted them causing them to be armed by the by the the best of the of the, of the units of greece it's really kind of fun so they're using their swords their 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 shields everything right and that's what he's finding out he's finding out <laughs> these guys are fighting you and you know what they're using your own stuff because they beat your guys with their hands and their pitchforks with the zeal of the lord david said you come at me with a sword and a shield and a javelin but i come to you in the name of yahweh and this day yahweh will give you into my hands and i will cut off your head and feed it to the birds isn't that fun exciting stuff talk about that at dinner time right and that's exactly how it plays out so anyways he goes on about all this is going on now when the king heard these words he was astonished and sore moved wouldn't you be whereupon he laid him down upon his bed and fell sick for grief because it had not befallen him as he looked for and there he continued many days for his grief was ever more and more and he made account that he should die wherefore he called for his friends and said to them you ready for this the sleep is gone from mine eyes, and my heart fails for, every, for, for very care. And I thought it within myself into what tribulation I am come, and how a great flood of misery it is, wherein I now am. For I was bountiful and beloved in my power, but now I remember the evils that I did at Jerusalem, and that I took all of the vessels of gold and silver that were therein, and sent to destroy the inhabitants of Judea without a cause. I perceive, therefore, that for this cause these troubles are come upon me, and behold, I perish through great grief in a strange land. So King Antiochus died there in the 149th year. Where did he die? In the same place that Belshazzar, (laughs) who mocked God with with the golden and silver vessels, died. I wonder, did he, did he think about that? Did, did the irony of the moment play into his brain? I took God on 
and I lost. You will always lose. God will always win. Now, I've got to close this up. We're way over. But I'm not going to make this in two messages. The timing. Don't worry about the Maccabees. This is, we read this. You can go back and check this out. Okay? Remember the, the number of years, or the number of days? 2,300 days? Six and a half years? Antiochus comes in at the 143rd year. Do you remember that? We're not told. We're not told specifically what month he comes in. The detail. Detail. But we are told when he died. He died in the 149th year of Grecian rule in the month November, December. I don't know about you, but 149 minus 143 comes up with what? Six years. And so if it happened in June, July, April, May, March, April, whatever, what do you got? Six and a half years. What a coincidence! What a coincidence. And it's all there, the book of Maccabees, you can read it. Okay? I'm not telling you you need to go reading the book of Maccabees. But the point is that God has recorded history. You can read from Josephus and stuff like that, but honestly, Josephus is used uh, as his main source, what? The book of Maccabees. Yeah, exactly. Okay? And so, we've got it listed for us in great detail. So, I want to go back and I want to ask the questions. How would you have responded if you were alive during the time of Antiochus or Antiochus? Would you have offered the pagan rituals? Or would you have stood for the word of God? Would you have been willing to die? I mean, honestly, think about it. Mattathias didn't know that God was going to give him a great victory. He didn't know that he would allow his sons to have such great exploits. All they knew was they could be like the thousand in Judah that died, were exterminated. And we're told in Romans chapter 8, again, as I quoted earlier, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. I mean, that's just a reality. I can go through Fox's Book of Martyr, and I can talk to you about different people all the way through. And I can tell you about people who have been burnt at the stake, who have continued to declare the, the name of God. But are you willing to make, quote-unquote, the greatest sacrifice, giving your life for the Word of God and His truth? Are you prepared to go through persecution today? It may be right around the corner. I mean, we don't know. If you're in California, the battles still rage about whether you can go to church, yes? Yeah. And so, I mean, some of the cases have been won, like John MacArthur and so they got battling it out and, and, and fighting for their freedom. But it's happening all around our nation already, just not here in Georgia at this very moment. But still, we're, we were even limited in 2020. We, we, we defied a little bit of that by, by meeting earlier than we were supposed to. Okay? Um, and so... Um, you've got to make a decision. When are you going to take a stand? And what are you, what's the stand going to be for? And so what are you willing to do to prepare yourself for the time? Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I am so overwhelmed um, by your goodness, by your truth. Lord, you have declared your word, and in your word you have declared things that would be, and you've given us just this, this little taste, Lord, of of how those things can come out. And even when we get to chapter 11 and we see even greater detail about the things that happened during this time, it's just amazing to me, Lord. I know that you know the details of what's going to happen in the days ahead as well. 
And as I read the book of Revelation and I see the white horse and the, um, the, the red horse and the black horse and the pale horse and I see the other seals being opened up and I see the silence in heaven for half an hour and I see the, the trumpets being given and I, I see, Lord, I know that these things are going to occur. And two-thirds, the three-quarter of the world are, is going to die. It's going to die. And if peradventure you choose to allow we, your people, to be here for some of that, as I read in the fifth seal, Lord, that, that, that there were the souls of the saints who were given the white robes who were beheaded for the name of Christ. Lord, that we would be willing to be amongst those people. God, cause me to be a man. Cause us to be willing to make the, the ultimate sacrifice for you. Help us to live in such a way, Lord, that it is of note to those about us that we are different, that we are honorable not because of ourselves but because of you, and that you would receive the glory through us in Christ's name. Amen.